Welcome to episode 11 of Chasing Majors with Tiger Woods' former caddy Steve Williams and myself, golf journalist Evan Priest. In this episode, we'll focus on Tiger's victory at the 2006 PGA Championship at Medina Country Club just outside Chicago. But right before Tiger won the PGA, he actually captured the Buick Open for his 50th PGA Tour victory after just 10 years as a pro. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company. So Steve, what are your memories of, the, of Tiger's 50th PGA Tour win and also the Buick Open in general? Yeah, look, it was, um, it, it's a tournament that ha- had one of the best vibes on the tour. It's an unusual town, Flint. It's, a, you know, it's made up majority of the businesses in Flint are, are car manufacturer parts, so all the different subsidiaries of of GM that make the car parts, all the different parts, they all, all get made there and then shipped to the big factories in Detroit for the assembly line. So it's a really, really blue-collar town. Um, and that tournament had an electric vibe to it. I mean, I would probably be willing to think that probably Tiger wouldn't have played that tournament under normal circumstances had Buick not been the sponsor of that event. Um, but when he did play there the first time, he just loved the vibe there. It was a real small-town tournament that got packed out. And the, the galleries there are probably as close to the players as any tournament i've ever seen mm. and um that because it's a, like a small property small golf course very very small property and yeah the, the, one of the i don't know if it was 2006 but um one of the funniest things i've ever seen in, in my caddying career uh actually happened at that tournament but, but which i'll allude to in a minute but as far as tiger's 50th win there yeah it was it was um it was it was a fitting sort of thing that you know given that um, earlier that year, Buick had come out with a new model car that Tiger was, you know, promoting on TV and so forth and that, and, and you know, to win the 50th tournament at their tournament, Buick and so forth. So yeah, it was pretty exciting. He played he played amazing. And, you know, I wouldn't say that course kind of suited him. Um, I've touched on it before. He, you know, if you get a golf course um, where you think that 80% of the field can shoot 64, that's, then it's not a course he's typically going to play because it's it's not a difficult course by tour standards. It's a very, very well menu. It's a great little, you know, country course, not typically what you call a tour course, but fantastic tournament. Yeah, you know, to get your 50th win uh, at 30 years of age, is, I mean, like at the time, you know, it's hard to even comprehend that somebody, you know, you'd, you'd, if you some of these numbers that took Tiger put up some of the records that he achieved during his career it's um, pretty remarkable you know 50 wins but um, great lead up you know confidence wise heading into the PGA Championship obviously yeah yeah he won that tournament three times so he obviously he felt comfortable on the golf course even though it was narrow and, and like you said but so so what when you were said you were going to allude to it what is your favourite memory from that tournament <laughs> well we played with Bob Seeger in the Pro-Am right alright famous rock so he, musician Absolutely, and he, he's from a nearby town uh, to Flint, absolute legend in, in um, Michigan. Tiger played with him in the pro, an absolute character. Tee off at 6.30 in the morning, he's sweating up a storm, this bloke, right? <laughs> you know, he's a true rocker, and he had his manager getting for him, and I, and I said to him, man, you're being sweaty. He said, man, he's a rock and roll star, you know, he hadn't, he'd been drinking all night. I mean, he was sweating <laughs> profusely. Yeah. Anyway, he's just an absolute gentleman, an absolute character. And I actually said to the guy, I said, well, you know, how does he get on when he when he has to go on tour and that? He said, when, when, the, when they sign up to do a tour, he stops drinking, stops gambling, and then he's into it. Fantastic character. Anyway, the 16th hole is a par five at this... Um, Warwick Hills. Warwick Hills Golf Course. And along to the left-hand side of the 16th hole, there was a number of new houses under construction. As we walked up to the 16th hole, all of a sudden all these construction workers come out to the front of the property that, that backed onto the golf course and that, and they had all these boom boxes synced up and they were playing a Bob Seger song and he started dancing down the fairway <laughs> and the whole crowd got into it. From memory, it was Night Moves that they were singing. Yeah, his famous was, song, Night Moves, yeah. Yeah, it was 
one of the best memories I've ever had. He was an absolute character, an absolute gentleman. And, and I know when he got to the 80th hole, you, if you had a symptom, you still got nine to go, 20 to go, 30 to go, he wouldn't have known. <laughs> he, was, he, he was high as a kite. He was just absolutely brilliant. Was he drinking from a flask the whole way around? Correct. Yeah, <laughs> I could imagine. He sounds like an absolute legend. What, what a character. Tiger always got those amazing Pro-Am guests, didn't he? But um, it's, it's kind of funny because he was always in the, you know, the celebrity side of those Pro-Am draws. And, um, and one of those w- w- would have been Roger Federer. So, so during that summer of 2006, Tiger developed you know, a, a friendship with tennis icon Roger Federer. And he said he, Tiger said he admired how Federer mastered the different court services. And Tiger was kind of doing the same thing in his own sport you know, on different styles of golf courses. Can you recall Roger visiting Tiger at golf tournaments throughout his career and over the years? And do you have any stories about their friendship? Yeah, look, um, you know, obviously that friendship was formed through the association with Nike, both obviously Nike icons. Yep. Um, but Roger, when they used to play the Durrell tournament, uh, the Key Biscayne tennis tournament was played in um, Miami. Miami, two week tournament, and the second week of the Key Biscayne tennis tournament coincided with the golf tournament, which is pretty amazing to think that two massive sporting events in Miami are playing on the same week. Yeah. But uh, Roger came over to the boat. Uh, on, on Tiger had his boat there, privacy docked down there at the Durrell tournament. And, and, the, and Roger came over to the boat and it was actually great to be, sort of sit back and listen to guys, you know, two, two of the, the two best at their sport at their time, um, sort of comparing notes on practice, dedication, philosophies, mental strength, and that sort of thing it was really, really, really interesting. But, um, you know, what struck me more about Roger Federer than any other person in his position was just how, how laid back he was, how sort of normal. I mean, you, you know, being around someone like Tiger, you're fortunate to meet a lot of other great sporting stars. And, you know, there's a lot of great sporting stars just on the golf tour. But um, when you be fortunate enough to be caring for someone like Tiger, you get to meet some of these, you know, through the pro-ams and through other avenues and that but he was just so laid back you know it was hard to actually to fathom how laid back this bloke was and um you know, what, considering... what were you thinking at the time like you know you're, you're a caddy from new zealand and you're sitting on privacy tiger woods's personal yacht with you know the arguably the greatest golfer ever and one of the greatest tennis players ever and they're talking about you know how great they are and what they do to prepare like what are you thinking well i was just soaking it up i mean you know it's great to listen to these guys you you know, you take all the information that you can take from all these guys. I mean, it's great to listen to. Like, it's like, you know, I was very fortunate through many of my younger days to be caddying for, you know, Greg Norman, Ray Fleur, who played a lot with Jack Nicklaus. And you just soak all that sort of stuff up. That's information that, you know, not only can it can help you or the player you're caddying for at the time, but as you move out of the golf and, and some of the things that these guys have made their own and have become very good at, you know, you just soak all that stuff up, but you, you sometimes you just, you know, it's hard to fathom the place that you're in, but um, yeah, some great memories. And, and like I said, just a, a super nice bloke. Chasing majors is made possible by our friends over at Bluebet. Bluebet is the true blue Aussie betting company, which offers plenty of markets in professional golf. Bet on your favourite golfers on various tours around the world, including every tournament on the USPGA Tour, both pre-tournament and in-play bets like first-round leaders and three-ball betting. There'll also be plenty of markets for the majors, so head over to bluebet.com.au or download the Bluebet app from the iPhone or Android app stores and gamble responsibly. Well, the fireworks were lit for the 2006 PGA Championship when Tiger was grouped with his arch-rival Phil Mickelson and also my countryman Jeff Ogilvie. Um, Phil Mickelson's short game coach, Dave Pels, poured a little bit of fuel on the fire when when their rivalry, when he said in an interview, when Phil's at his best, nobody can beat him. And Pels was then asked, you know, if that nobody includes Tiger Woods. And Pell answered, you better does. Phil's long swing is good. His short game, I believe, is the best in the world. I'm not saying Tiger's short game is bad. He has a great short game, but I think Phil putts more consistently than Tiger does. What did you and Tiger make of those comments at the time? <laughs> That's a great question. Look, I mean, I, I think he was just playing a little bit of a mind game there. Um, you know, Tiger and Phil had not been paired together very often in the first two rounds of a major. Obviously, the PGA groups the three previous winners of the majors from that year. So, you know, it was a great group. You got Jeff Ogilvie, obviously Australian. Um, Phil Mickelson and Tiger, the, you know, the, the two ultimate professionals uh, and the two most popular players on the tour at the time playing. So it was a fantastic grouping. Um, but as far as Pels and that, I mean, that you know, that's I, I don't know where you can come up with a statement like that. I mean, arguably, Phil's short game 
it's the best in the world. No one's going to claim that, but um, I'd be hard pressed to think that you know anyone's going to read much of that. I think just because they appeared together, I think he's feeling like you know we'll give Tiger something to think about here. But that's that's <laughs> Tiger. Tiger Woods is not the right guy to say that to because if there's any kind of thing like that, he's just going to you know it adds fuel to the fire. I mean, you can go back to that um, match play event where. Um, Tiger was drawn against Stephen Ames, and Stephen Ames said, "You know, yeah. Tiger is overrated." And, and well, he wasn't overrated when he shook hands with him on the eleventh hole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that was amazing. Yeah, you, I, I love coaches, and and they're very enthusiastic about their own players. But that was like showing uh, like a red cape to a bull, wasn't it? Yeah. No. Look, I mean, that's that. You know, look, it's something you might say to your mates, and that that's not what you say for public knowledge and put it out there for Tiger Woods, because, like I said, that's just gonna not that he's not gonna try. It's a major championship, and he thrives on it. But I mean, you know, that's just gonna absolutely give him more motivation. And and that tournament, if if you do, you know, if you if you watch Tiger that week, he was so serious that week, and he was, you know, he was. Like he likes to win every major championship, but man, he was unbelievably serious and had a stoic face to him that week. And I think he just, you know, when he has to prove a point, there's no greater athlete in the world that's going to try harder to prove a point than this man. And I think Pelts might have been, you know, think that might have been the right thing to say here. I think it's the definition of something backfiring, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I suppose Tiger had a big, bit of a spring in his step because. Um, Phil had won the Masters, and any time that Phil won a major, Tiger thought that you know it felt a bit threatened that he was maybe getting closer to, to Tiger's greatness. So Tiger went on a tear, won the the British Open at Hoylake, which we chatted about in the last episode, and then won the uh, won the Buick Open, and then leading into this PGA, so he was pretty fired up to to make a statement that year, wasn't he? Yeah, look, I think even I, I think you know given that Phil did win the Masters, and then you know they paired together, like just the pairing itself, like. To, you know that, that whoever wins the 18 hole pairing the 36 hole pairing there's a big grudge match there you've got the overall tournament is the carrot you're trying to win but i mean those two guys you know want to beat each other on thursday and friday they can just walk away from the golf course and say i beat tiger woods today or phil you know tiger so i can beat phil today so I, from memory they tied on the first day and then on the second day uh, it was a different story yeah. Well, Tiger actually laughed. He, he, he made a pack of reporters laugh when they they obviously, the reporters went to Tiger and said, what do you make of Phil and his short game coach, Dave Pell, saying these things? And Tiger sort of, he just said, well, I think I'm pretty tough to beat when I'm playing well too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, like it was, you know, it was, it was like, like you said, you know, he doesn't need more motivation. So you just don't give him more motivation. So, um, yeah, hey, look, look. You know, that, that, that golf course typically does not set up that great for Tiger. Um, there's a lot of dog legs in Medina. Um, and, you know, obviously the course was lengthened since 99, but, you know, Tiger's actually, you know, whilst the golf course was lengthened from 99, you know, the players all get longer. You know, if they, if they lengthen the hole by 20 yards, well, from 99 to 2006, the players have gained that much distance. So the course still plays the same. So there wasn't as many drivers on that course as there would be on some major championship courses, you know, because there's a lot of dog legs there. And once again, Tiger had a strategy of playing to the corner of the dog leg. Mm. Uh, like sometimes, you know, I mean, um, and, you know, once again, it was a strategic play and, and, and he played, you know, absolutely. I think he just had three bogeys over the 72 holes uh, on a course like Medina. That, that is some very, very good playing. The rough was thick as, and um, it's a very, very good golf course. So, you know, it's one of his most underrated performances, actually. I mean, you know, like three bogeys over 72 holes on a course of that demand. I mean, you can make three bogeys in the first three holes there if you're nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steve, according to the research I did, this was only the fourth time that Tiger and Phil would play together at a major championship. The three times before that were the 97 PGA, the 99 US Open, and the 2001 Masters. Does that seem like a missed opportunity to you that the two biggest stars in golf didn't play together more often at the majors? Yeah, look, I mean, it, 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 that is very interesting, Evan, but what, what sort of happens now? TV plays a major role uh, in, in, in the golf business, and of course, they provide the major funding for the tour. So if you have your two players who are the most valuable to your TV ratings playing together, 
and they're playing together in the morning, then no one's watching TV in the afternoon. And if they're playing in the afternoon, no one's watching TV in the morning. So invariably, at just about every tournament that those two would play in, one guy's playing in the morning and one guy's playing in the afternoon because those are your two guys that are your marquee guys that get the big TV ratings. But um, I, I think that, that if they were paired together more often, I think that would have been even greater. And it's something we don't know because they just very seldom paired them together. And um, uh, I think the rivalry, there's always been a rivalry between these two guys because they're two fantastic players. But had they played more together in the first two rounds of events, I think that rivalry would have been even greater uh, and had more sense of excitement when they did get paired together. So, uh, yeah, an opportunity that certainly was missed big time by the two, I feel, and, and like you alluded to. Yeah, every now and then I just, you know, like you said, it's it's kind of up to the tournament for the first two rounds to get them together. Usually, more often than not, the, the tournament committee decides those pairings, but sometimes there is tradition, like at the Masters or the Open or, or at the PGA, where, where there's certain winners are grouped together. But I just feel like, the combination of the tournament not getting them together more often for the first two rounds, and then Phil and Tiger's scores never quite matching up, and the the way tournaments shake out matching up for them to be paired on Saturday and Sunday more often, it just really surprises me, and it's kind of, you know, it, it's a little bit depressing to think about. We we could have had these great head-to-head rivalries, you know, like right there playing with each other, but but we didn't get them very often. But anyway, I suppose that's what that that's what made the 2006 PGA Championship so anticipated. This. Did this feel like one of the most anticipated majors that you'd ever caddy at? Well, I think, you know, when you play a major championship in a town like Chicago, I mean, it is just a sports-mad city. They have more franchises there, you know, than any other city in America with all the, you know, the main mainstream sports in mm. America. Yeah. And it's just a sports city. So when you, anytime you go to Chicago, you know it's going to be a fantastic event. It's going to be unbelievable atmosphere. And, of course, you know, it's an historic golf course. So... You know, Tiger in 2006, when his father passed away, you know, there's a big question mark, big asterisk on, you know, how's Tiger going to perform? And obviously, he came back at the US Open and, you know, he wasn't even anywhere near the Tiger Woods. But, you know, to turn it around, uh, like I alluded to that in the last show, in, in a short space of time, and then he played, you know, I mean, this major that he played here, it rates right up there uh, with the 2000 US Open and the 2000 Open Championship, in my books. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, and, and especially the winning score, which we'll get to eventually, was was quite similar to, to Pebble Beach. But uh, Steve, Tiger was notorious for practicing early in the morning of, of tournament practice rounds and getting out of there before the crowds come. But on the Wednesday of the 2006 PGA, you and Tiger only arrived at practice in the afternoon. Why, why was that? Yeah, I think uh, I think there he had a late tea time uh, on Wednesday so that he could replicate the tee time that he had on Thursday. Okay. Um, a lot of times in a major championship, you know, if, you, if he had played early on Wednesday, you know, like, he, you know, he'd play as early as you can, 6 a.m. in the morning that, and then you're going to tee off at 2.30 on Thursday afternoon. That's a long time between, you know, being on the golf course and, and then back, off, say, off the golf course on Wednesday and back on the golf course on Thursday. Um, a lot of times he would just make the decision based on feel. If he felt he, he was really comfortable um, you know, he just liked to keep in the rhythm and that. So he played at the same time that he had a tee time the following day, just so the conditions, because the, the, the conditions were supposed to be pretty tricky that week. And, um, you know, you, you get a real good feel for the course. So just, he, he didn't do that that often, but that particular case, he wanted to replicate you know, Wednesday and Thursday was a similar forecast. And he wanted to, he knew that he would be replicating the exact conditions he was going to play in on Wednesday, the Thursday's opening round. Now, his playing partner, Mickelson, was actually practicing at another golf course in the Chicago area that week. He did that quite often, Phil Mickelson. He often practiced away from the tournament. But in your words, why do you think he did that? Well, I mean, he just liked to get away from the crowds, like, you know, and, and be, be in the peace and quiet. That, that's just Phil's way. I mean, he is very gracious with his time with the fans. He's, you know, he's, he's like the Arnold Palmer of the modern day and that Phil loves to sign autographs. And he's tremendous like that. Mm. And I guess he felt sometimes at a major championship that was taken away, uh, you know, a lot of his time by doing that. So by going to another golf course, but you know, uh, that, 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 not very many players have done that in their career. It's kind of <laughs> a little bit bewildering to be fair, because you know, you, you soak up the atmosphere at a major championship, you know, 
even though the greens at another golf course might be running at the same speed as the greens that you're at the golf you're playing the event in, it's just not the same. You know, it's not mm. the same contours. I mean, but, you know, um, Phil's always beat to his own drum and um, he, he's been very successful in his career. So, you know, you can't doubt some of the things that he's done. No, you can't. Six majors, he can sort of do whatever he likes. <laughs> Chasing Majors is proud to partner with X-Blades, who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world-class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union, rugby league, Aussie rules and netball. The team at X-Blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport, and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year. Watch this space and keep listening to Chasing Majors. So Steve, round one gets underway and Tiger and Phil hardly spoke to each other that day and they both shot 69 and, and so did the third guy in the group, Jeff Ogilvy for that matter. Was it a little bit awkward between Tiger and Phil that round after the Dave Pell's comments in the lead up? Because Ogilvy had said after about the pairing, neither one of them was trying to avoid the other, but no one was walking across the fairway to talk to each other either. So, so was it a little bit awkward after those comments? Oh, yeah, no question about it. You know, I, I'm sure Phil was thinking, Dave, I wish you hadn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> and Phil's, and, and Tiger's saying, Dave, I'm, I'm sure glad you said that because I'm going to kick his ass this week and you're going to be, you know, that's going to backfire on you. So, I mean, it was, um, yeah, that's a great way, to, as Jeff described it. I mean, they're walking down the fairway, no one's crossing over to say something to the other bloke. It was very noticeable, but, you know, I, I don't, I'm, you know, that's something Dave could have said that had they not been paired together, but particularly that they've been paired together, that's an awful statement to make when you're actually, the guys are going to be paired together because you know it's going to be icy and it's just going to add fuel to Tiger's desire to beat Phil. Oh, absolutely. Steve, um, Ogilvy also said before the tournament started that the first two rounds would be like a zoo, quote unquote. I read in my research that a golf writer saw one fan buy his first beer into the 10th tee at the, on Thursday morning at 7.45am and he was straight back for two more beers. So the fans were jolly that, you know, those first couple of days in Chicago. How was the atmosphere those first two days? Yeah, no, look, as I said before, Chicago's electric. And, you know, the PGA Championship, they put the tee times out there like a week before the tournament. Um, okay. You know, so I'm pretty sure they come out, the, or sorry, the weekend before the tournament. So all the fans would have seen that Mickelson and Woods are playing together. And then you see that Pels puts up this comments. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, these fans are going to be having some beers and they're going to be having some fun and they're going to be licking their chops and one guy's not getting beaten by the other guy. So, um, do you remember you much know, of the, do you remember much of like the heckling or the crowd those first two days? Was it, was it more on Phil's side? Was it more on Tiger's side? Oh, no, 50 50. You okay. know, Phil's hugely popular. They're, they're both two, you know, they're two magnetic sort of guys. They're hugely popular. And, and, and Chicago fans, uh, are great fans. They're going to applaud good shots. I mean, you know, you've got New York fans, you've got West Coast fans, you've got Chicago fans and that, and they love to have a good time, but they're going to applaud. It doesn't matter who it is if they do something good. So they're great atmosphere and it just made for an, you know, an incredible tournament. Steve, to start off the second round, Tiger hooked his opening tee shot way left of the fairway, but he arrived to find his ball only a few yards left of a fairway bunker and what had happened is one of Tiger's fans had actually stuck his arm out and deflected the golf ball back towards the fairway. And Tiger said after the round, it's nice to have Shaquille O'Neal out there knocking him back. Can you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've said it before. You know, he hit some of the worst opening tee shots of anyone you've ever seen in there. And that was one, <laughs> that, another case. Of, I mean, you know, he takes so much pride in his golf and that, and he gets so nervous on the first tee. I mean, he hits as, bad, as many bad tee shots off the first hole as us weekend hackers do so um yeah so he, he he was very fortunate there that somebody actually you know like that oh that's tiger ball put my hand up with it you know apparently he did it on purpose he wasn't protecting himself from hitting the ball but that, that i don't know but um what about as a know, caddy when when you get up there and see that ball and you saw the shot from back you know a couple of hundred yards away and you see where it's ended up and you think well that can't be right what goes through your mind quickly as a caddy right there yeah, generally, um, you know, you, you get a guy on the radio, one of the guys on the radio will always tell us as we're walking up there, one of the security detail guys will tell me, hey, Steve, the, you know, the, the ball's hit somebody here. And Tiger was always great. He would always get a glove out and sign it for some, whoever it was, or a golf ball. But generally, yep. they use give it to someone because so we'd usually get a heads up. And it was very seldom when you get up there and you'd, you wouldn't know that something like that had happened. Yeah. Just on that, Steve, what what are like one or two of the most bizarre fan interferences with Tiger's ball that you can remember? Well, I don't know. I wouldn't, it wasn't a fan, but, you know, when Tiger at the um, 
Byron Nelson when he missed the cut and the security guy stood on his ball in the first hole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was some kind of hot. Okay, yeah. it wasn't a fan, but it wasn't. You know, it was some it was an outsider. Um, he was some kind of furious. <laughs> in its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Steve, Tiger only hit 15 of 28 fairways over the first two rounds, but on the second day, he shot a bogey-free 68 to put himself within one shot of the leaders. How was he able to do that, in your words? Hit, hit very few fairways, but shoot such a great bogey-free round. Yeah, so he... he um, sometimes those numbers can be a little bit... Um, you know, that, yes, they're accurate. Misleading? But, yeah, somewhat misleading. So a lot of times on these dog-leg holes there, particularly there's a number of of holes at Medina. So let's just say the pin is on the right-hand side of the green and it's a dog leg right, you know, left to right hole. Well, you can, you, you, and you've got overhanging trees on the right side. So your half of the, your fairway is the left half of the fairway and the first cut of rough. Okay. You know, so sometimes those, like I kept my own statistics for Tiger um, different to what the PJ Tour statistic would be because there'd be a lot of holes where, you know, sometimes when you hit it just in the first cut, which he did a number of times there. Mm. Um, and deliberately but, too. And deliberately, or not deliberately, but sort of, you know, you, your fairway that you're trying to hit is moved across from the, you know, center of the fairway to the left side of the fairway and that first cut of rough. So, you know, a lot of times you, you know, you, you're better, you've got a better angle from the rough sometimes on some of these holes to the pins and that, um, and, you know, Tiger played incredibly smart golf. I mean, mm. he very sell One of his great strengths was that he wouldn't short side himself. That's one of the things he did going into greens, off the tees and that. You know, if these, if these OB right and it's really tricky, he'll go way left. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, he, 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 he mastered the way of playing conservative golf and, and, you know, eliminating the big score. And, you know, but like, yeah, he didn't hit a lot of fairways, but, you know, those numbers say 15 out of 28. My numbers might have said 19. That's a big percentage difference. Yeah, and, and, and what you mean by that is if he was in the first cut, he still had a great shot at the green and the lie was pretty good. It's not too much. It's not too dissimilar from the fairway, right? So you would sort of almost count that as a fairway hit. Yeah, well, so, sometimes the first cut is actually very, very good because the ball sits up like a bit of it does on some of the tight fairways. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of times, you, you know, you hit a good shot and it just takes an odd bounce or it just runs a little bit further than you intended to and it's in the first cut. You know, so if you hit a good shot and everything was right about the shot and it's in the first cut, in my book, that's a fairway hit if you were, if you were favouring that side of the fairway. Okay, so Steve, Tiger shoots a course record equaling 65 on Saturday to take a share of the 54-hole lead at 14 under par with Mike Weir, the Canadian, at 12 under par and, and Jeff, my countryman, at 11 under par. Tiger was now 11 for 11 already in converting 54-hole leads at the majors to this point. Englishman Luke Donald, who lived in Chicago and was something of a hometown hero having gone to Northwestern University there, he managed to get himself into the final group with Tiger what are your memories of Luke Donald? Geez, he was a great iron player and a, and a short game wizard. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he had a stretch there um, that was as good as anybody, uh, consistency-wise. You know, it was never a great, given that he was obviously a reasonably short hitter, he was never ever that accurate, to be honest. But, um, you know, he had a period where he was good and, you know, and that was right in the thick of that period. Um, but, you know, to win a major championship as your first major playing with Tiger, tall effort, you know, tall, that's a big ask. You know, <laughs> he was playing great. He was in the final group, uh, as was Jeff Ogilvy. So, um, you know, it was four guys tied for the lead there and, and, and very, very good players. But, you know, Tiger was in the last group. And he left a lot, he'd be the last man standing. And But, yeah, I, look, nothing detrimental against Luke. But, you know, like I said, trying to win your first major championship, you know, and, and, and as a hometown hero, he, he was huge in Chicago. Yeah, and um, but you know, I didn't really think that he was going to be a threat, to be honest. Because I mean, you know, he's playing against Tiger, who's in massive form, um, and like he was putting good too. So when he when he's putting good, it's it's going to be very difficult to knock him over on Sunday. 
Now, Steve, on Saturday night, Tiger made a putting adjustment to his technique that would be crucial for the final round, and we'll get to that in a second, but he putted the dots off it. Can you remember what that adjustment was on Saturday night? Yeah, he just um, he didn't quite have his eyes over the ball exactly where he wanted to. Uh, he just moved the ball slightly back, I mean, ever, ever so slightly. Um, and, and, you know, all of a sudden could just see the line perfectly. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, his putting display on Sunday would probably be his best round at a major of on the, the greens yeah it was it was masterful and you know of course when he's holding putts and that it's pretty you know when as good as he plays it's making it hard for the opposition well that, that's incredible only a slight adjustment and, and pay dividends and we'll get to that but steve what was the atmosphere like for you as a caddy final round chicago like you mentioned tiger and a local hero luke donald in the final group was it electric yeah oh yeah i mean you know it was it People sensed that this guy, I mean, everybody sensed that it was a sports fan, golf fan, that this guy's going to get to 18. And every time that he was going to win a major, you can say that you, you're at number 12 or you're at number this, you're at number that. And this is another case where, you know, here's a guy that's making a bold bid for Jack's record. Uh, it's looking likely he's going to add another one here. And you want to be part of that, you know, part of, at the time, it's history in the making. I, of course, we know now that it didn't eventuate to the final tally. But at the time, there was nobody that was involved in sport or golf did not think that he was going to get to Jack's record and and possibly surpass that record. And, you know, this was just another one that he was going to tick off at, you know, 12 majors at 30 years of age. I mean, some guys play a lifetime, great players, and get two majors at 30. I mean, it was just mind-boggling to think. Gosh, they were lucky, the Chicago sports fans. They, they enjoyed the Michael Jordan era, and then Tiger won two majors in their backyard. They were very lucky, Chicago sports fans. So, uh, Steve, on the on the first hole, Tiger rolls in a 12-footer for birdie on the first to take sole possession of the lead. Then he sank 40-foot birdie bombs both on the sixth and the eighth holes to increase his lead to four shots. It was basically game over for everyone else from there, wasn't it? Well, he was playing good and putting good, and, you know, and... and, and, and it's one of those things is when Tiger gets his name on the top of that leaderboard, it just puts an, an unbelievable extra amount of pressure on the other guys because they, they feel that he's not going to crumble. And that, you, you know, if you see the deficit three, I mean, it's, it's a, it, the big numbers, the major championships, birdies are hard to find. Um, so, you know, Jack and Tiger, the two guys with the most major championships have both fell into the same category when they got their name onto the top of the leaderboard it just put this extra pressure. Uh, and whilst players, I mean, they'll always say, no, I didn't feel any other pressure in that. But I mean, I promise you, they all did. Oh, absolutely. In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the Digital Pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So Steve, Tiger ends up shooting a 68 and an 18 under par. He wins by five shots over Sean McKeel. And then you had Donald, Sergio Garcia and Adam Scott tied for third. Tiger wins major number 12 and PGA Championship number three. He becomes the first player ever to win the PGA twice on the same golf course. Was it Tiger's putting that stands out to you about the 2006 PGA or, or is it something else? Well, I mean, he, 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 was, he was so focused that week. Not that he's not focused, but he, he, he had, you know, I, I, I think that Dave Pelt's comment just absolutely gave him that extra bit of motivation. I mean, he was... Yeah, he's always motivated. He lives for major championships to, to be in contention on Sunday. But he had a little bit something different. He his, his he he never got frustrated that week. He never got mad, you know, you know, and so forth. He just he kept his head down. He didn't show much emotion. He didn't really pay a lot of attention to the crowds. That I mean, he was really driven to win that tournament. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. But he played fantastic. Um, why know, did, like why do you think he was so serious? What was it? Exactly the Pell's comments, or, or was there something else that he would he really had his eye on? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he, he loved to win in Michael Jordan's backyard. <laughs> that was <laughs> one. Um, he, he liked that fact. He liked Chicago. 
and, and the Pell singer. Just, I mean, he, but you know, if you if you watched highlights of all Tiger's major championships, I mean, this one would would go down as the one where he seemed to be the most serious. Yeah, he he was just phenomenal that week. So, uh, Steve, twelve major wins puts Tiger um, into second place for the most majors of all time at that point, and therefore only six majors behind Jack Nicklaus. Did the discussion that Tiger could definitely overtake Jack's record eventually sort of ramp up after this win? Uh, amongst you and Team Tiger? Well, I mean, look, I guess it's not something we openly discussed. Like, you know, we all had, we all shared the same goal. And I think we all had the vision. If this guy kept practicing and playing the way he does and dedicated himself to the job at hand and doesn't get injured, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I, I mean... I'll be honest in saying I, I I constantly pictured that moment when he got to number nineteen. Um, I I, I could you know I could picture that moment in my head. Paint paint uh, that picture for us. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't really ever you know picture exactly what tournament's going to be, but I could just see it being like the walk up the eighteenth hole of that thing would be a standing ovation the whole way up with with the noise unparalleled to anything in sport okay well that, that to me sounds like the open yeah it, it could be but i think any i think when the occasion arose and if it was a situation where the tournament was you know was not on the line it was already foregone conclusion like a lot of the majors were that tiger won i, I think it was just going to be an airy you know feeling coming up the last hole everybody standing up everybody taking their hats off and everybody applauding uh, a record that would never ever get beaten, but um, you know, I used to play that over my head all the time, and then and I didn't see any reason why that wouldn't eventuate. Do, do you want to hear where, where I used to picture it would happen? Go. The 2015 Open Championship at St Andrews. I think the 2010 Open was probably too soon because if you think about this episode, this is the 2006 PGA. Another six majors by 2010 is probably a tall order even for Tiger. So I sort of gave him a little bit of space and then I pictured the Open at St. Andrews because he, of course, won the career Grand Slam for the first time there in 2000 at St. Andrews. And I just thought it would have been a storybook ending if he won major number 19 uh, at the Open at St. Andrews 2015. <laughs> well, there would be no better amphitheater in golf, no better place to do it. And look, like I said, I, I just I didn't have any reservation that he wasn't going to do it. So um, it's just, a, you know, it's a matter of, of where and when, not, not if, but... Um... Yeah, sadly, um, that dream that I always had didn't eventuate. Well, it's it's it, it, did it keep you going though? Like it, it really gave you juice every day. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. There was no question about it. I, I, I never stopped thinking about it. And you know, we talked. Tiger and I talked about it all the time. And of course, you know, we we openly joked. Was, you know, you know, I said, well, when you when you get to nineteen, I'm definitely out of here. And he said, well, you, you better stay or twenty. We'll get to twenty. And I said, well, since twenty one is the favourite number, we'll make it twenty one. You know, we, we joked about it all the time, and it was a casual joke that we both thought was ever, it was going to happen. You know, well, it seemed it seemed very likely at the time. Um, if we just pull it back for one second. Phil Mickelson, the defending PGA champion, actually, struggled to a two-over par 74 in the final round. He finished tied for 16th. Did that make it especially satisfying for you and Tiger, given what was said before the tournament from Mickelson's coach, but also just the fact that it was Phil and, and Tiger's greatest rival? Well, I mean, I, you know, like, it's irrelevant where Phil finished. I mean, Tiger won the tournament. That was the ultimate goal. I mean, was... <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a fair comment. That's a fair comment. Uh, Steve, I want to ask you about the 2006 Deutsche Bank Championship in Boston because this is a hilarious story that that I read in Hank Haney's book. Um, Saturday night, Tiger swing coach Hank, like I just explained, he gives Tiger some instructions to work on in front of the mirror because Tiger was swinging it poorly by his standards and he gave Hank a call and and Hank said, you need to work on this and this. Tiger works on it for two hours before bed, 90 minutes when he got up to go to the bathroom at 2 a.m., and then another hour in front of the mirror before the final round. Tiger went out and shot to 63 and beat Vijay Singh by two shots. Can you remember that tournament at all? Yeah, look, I mean, he he had played, you know, he was on a stretch there from the Buick through the PGA Championship onto the Bridgestone Tournament, you know, which he loves, of course, won there. And, I mean, it was just, you know, this Tiger Mania thing, from that started way back in 2000 that was now at full strength again and I think he was just getting a little bit maybe a fraction of fatigue here a little bit tired in that but um he you know, he just wanted to keep winning 
Um, and he was just a little at sorts here. I think the second round there at the Deutsche Bank, he, from memory, he didn't, he, you know, I think he really struggled in the second round. And, and the conditions were great. And as a golf course, you've got to shoot, you know, four low scores on typically if the conditions are good. Um, and he got a little bit behind, you know, VJ. And of course, you know, as, as strong as the relationship, or sorry, the rivalry between Tiger and Phil, you know, Tiger and VJ was even greater, probably. I mean, yeah. <laughs> guys that just hated to lose to each other yep. and Tiger was desperate on Sunday um, you know to somehow get in the mix and that mm. you know, he goes out in 29 I mean it's, it's just it's another story that's just mind-boggling and this is a guy that I think I've said in one of the other shows that you know I was driving the car down the Hamilton Express the cute sorry the Queen Elizabeth's freeway in Toronto one time Steve pull the car over pull the car over he's got a club out on the side of the road swinging it because he's got a swing forward in his head I mean this <laughs> I mean you know, and, and things like that that, that didn't even phase me you know he's you know often we'd be staying in the house or I'd be in a hotel or you know go to his room in his hotel to get something and, and he's just swinging that club swinging that club trying mm. to find perfection I mean just amazing and you know he, he 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 had a great ability to rehearse something not needing a golf ball so he could continuously make a swing rehearsal and know whether he's done it right or not without actually having to hit a golf ball so he did it so many times uh, between the phone call from Hank and between getting to the range on Sunday that he had it you know this wasn't like he needed to hit one ball two balls five balls ten balls to find it as soon as he got there, he had it, and it was an impressive warm-up. And 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 he, uh, he just you know goes out and shoots twenty-nine on the front line. It was just you know I mean it was amazing. And I could sense right from the get-go that that that, that he had it. You know, he yeah. was like I mean, Tiger's a guy that you know he 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 can win with his A game, B game, and C game. I mean, he's that good. He's such a great competitor. He has a great short game, and his desire to win is best he's ever been so he you know he doesn't have to be playing his best but then when he gets on a roll like that and he gets going and you get the crowd behind him and and, and you know all the other players of course they can hear the roars and, and it just one thing leads to another so you know that that was one of the most exciting well i was going to say sundays but actually from memory that tournament used to finish on labor day monday um it was always this friday to monday tournament so that was a you know fin, uh, you know fantastic run that came you know uh, that, or continued the run that enabled him to keep winning because he went on from there and won the american express championship and, and you know he, he had a 2006 as a as a year that you know not a lot it was an amazing year from the open championship uh through to the very last tournament of the year his own event i mean i don't believe he finished out of second place it was incredible Oh, yeah, 2006 doesn't get spoken about quite enough in comparison to 2000, I would argue, in, in terms of Tiger's greatest seasons. And it, it falls a little bit by the wayside, even even though it was spectacular. But, Steve, I want to ask quickly about the 2006 Ryder Cup at the K Club in Ireland. Because the US team actually, for the first time ever, flew out to the K Club, to, to the venue, weeks before the, the Ryder Cup and as a team. And they spent two days there. However, it, it didn't really help because the Europeans ended up smashing the Americans, 18 and a half to nine and a half. It was an emotional victory because Darren Clark was on the European team and his wife had sadly died of cancer only weeks before that. Tiger actually won three of his five matches, but what are your memories of the 2006 Ryder Cup uh, at the K Club? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me. That's the club that I dropped. That's the venue where I dropped the club in the water. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that where that happened? That's where my memory of that is. So I'm leaning on, on, on there's a par three. It's a, a green that has all water uh, to the front of it and to the right of it. And it has a, it has the railroad ties. And I'm leaning on, on, I'm leaning on Tiger's club. He's up there putting and I'm leaning on this club and, and I slip and I've got to either me go on the wall of the club. So I let the club go. <laughs> I didn't tell him, you know, there's only a couple of holes to go. They're playing alternate shot. We go to the next hole. I believe he was playing with Jim Furyk. Jim tees off. Tiger's got to hit a second shot, and it's a bloody nine-iron, and he's going to he needs a nine-iron. And I'm thinking, I just can't give him a yardage for a wedge or an eight. It's it's a, it's a nine. I can't deviate this one. And he goes to pull the nine-iron out and said, where's the nine-iron? I said, you know that late back? <laughs> I mean, um, it was something I'll never forget. So that, what that, was that his was reaction when, he, when you didn't have the nine-iron? You effing clown. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, he said. <laughs> so um, uh, we, had some, 
we laughed about that for ages. And um, so you were just hoping that you wouldn't need the nine for the the nine. I, 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 he only had a couple of holes to go. The, I, I mean, what's the odds on the very next hole he's going to need a nine nine? I mean, it's just like I, I mean, if you're clearly at, low. <laughs> yeah, I was almost going to tell Jim, could you just hit a different club off the tee so make sure we haven't got a nine nine here? <laughs> that is my only memory of that tournament because it was just too good. That is awesome. It's it's it's, fu- it's funny that he said that because you've had two moments where you lost something and you're right near water. One was the 2000 US Open at Pebble Beach where you didn't realize he was down to one ball in the bag, and then now this one. So that 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 is just awesome. What about besides your caddy blunder, which I'm sure made all sorts of highlights on ESPN, and you probably got emails from New Zealand about it. But uh, do you have any other memories from the 2006 Ryder Cup? You know, just the Americans getting smashed, or what was the dressing room like? Yeah, no, we got bad, but they got badly beaten there. And, and look, a lot of matches from memory there, they went to the 18th hole, and the, the Americans played that last hole poorly at the K Club. You know, there's a par five with water, and um, I, I think the Europeans just dominated on that hole. Um, yeah, and, and look, the, 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 it's the first time the Ryder Cup was played in Ireland, and it was just an electric atmosphere for the Europeans. And, you know, the, the Americans got cleanly beaten. And I mean, it was, that was, you know, right at the start of the, the, the run where Europe dominated the Ryder Cup. And, mm. you know, we weren't in it right from the get go there. And, you know, and Tiger, to be fair, he played, you know, he, he won yeah, three th- out of five. Three or five, I yeah. I don't think he ever won more, more than three out of five in any Ryder Cup he played. And so, you know, but there was, um, they were soundly beaten um, by a better side. Another tournament towards the end of this year that I want to ask you about is, like you mentioned just before, Tiger goes on a tear. He wins the the, the Bridgestone in Ohio, where one of his favourite tournaments, the Deutsche Bank, like we just mentioned, and then another WG, another WGC victory at the American Express, and then two second place finishes in Asia. But one I want to ask you about was actually the the American Express in London at a golf course called the Grove. Tiger won that WGC by eight shots, and Hank. Haney in his book, he wrote that it was the closest Tiger ever came to ball striking perfection or, you know, like driving range golf from his home at Isleworth in Florida. That, that that was the closest he ever got to that. What are your memories of the uh, the American Express at the Grove? Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was a, a, the Grove is a, it was a new golf course just outside of London, um, up near the Watford area. Um, you know, ma- massive event for London, you know, HSBC, one of their world headquarters. So it was going to be a massive event. It's a world golf championship. First one played in London on a on a spectacular golf course. Um, we always used to have the same thing that we'd say to Tiger: if you could ever take your game from Isleworth to the PGA Tour, you'd never get beaten. Because surprisingly, even and this is this is a, a bizarre thing to say, but he played better a lot of days at Isleworth than he's ever played anywhere before. Like some of the rounds that he's played at Isleworth, and, and like he's played thousands of rounds there, but, and I've been privy to, you know, hardly any of them, but but some of the times when Hank and I have been at Isleworth with Tiger, you, you, we just used to shake our heads. He'd play from tees that were bordering on 8,000 yards and, be shooting, and, and could get very close to 60 on a very difficult course. I mean, we always joke, if you ever take your game from Isleworth to the PGA Tour, they'll never beat you. So, you know, we used to have this sort of thing. Well, that's that's where that uh, Hank got that from. Like, he actually took his game from Isleworth to, to the Grove and he played, you know, I mean, it's not a major championship, but um, that was an unbelievable display of ball striking. He was absolutely on fire. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he, he was... That, I, I always remember that tournament too. I mean, and once again, it's a tournament. It had a great atmosphere. They had a... Another WGC event was played um, somewhere in the south of Ireland one time. And you know, when you get an event of this magnitude and you get the feel that these world championship golfers attracted, you know, those events had major championship feelings to them too. And, and, yeah, you know, they, they were elite the, events. Well, they are elite events. Yeah, I mean, outside of the majors, you know, how many, you know, people say you've won this many majors and this many world golf championships. And, you know, I mean, Tiger his record of the majors, but I mean, how many world golf championships does this guy win too? I mean, he, you know, he was just amazing. The big tournament, he's a big tournament player. Yeah. And, and just, just to jog your memory, he beat Ian Poulter in his own backyard of England and Adam Scott, my countryman by eight shots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, you know, in, in today's, well, yeah, you get even going back then, you know, to win tournaments by the amount of strokes that he often won tournaments by is, is just, you know, a real, look at how good he actually was in his prime. You know, I mean, you don't often see guys, you don't see anyone in, the, in today's, you know, 
arguably people say, well, the fields are deeper and that, but I mean, you can argue all you want, but, um, you know, Tiger obliterated the field often. Um, you know, just another, you know, thing to say just how great this guy is. So to wrap it up, Steve, let me ask you your thoughts on 2006 in general, because we've, we've had Tiger lose his father, Earl, tragically. Um, he's missed the cut straight after that at the US Open, his first ever missed cut in the majors as a professional. But the overall year of 2006 reads 19 official events on the world ranking with world ranking points, nine victories, and three runner ups. That is insane. Yeah, I mean, you, that, that, like you, you mentioned before, Evan, it was one of the most underestimated years of Tiger's career. Um, you know, I, I think after the 2006 season, now you're going into the 2007 season, there's just no way you didn't think that he was going to win a couple be it 14 majors, you know, and, and as you alluded to, by 2015 at the Open Championship at St. Andrews, I mean, he could have been going for number 20. I mean, he was just, if everything stayed where it was right there and then, it would be hard to bet that he wouldn't win at least one every year, if not two, um, you know, given his dominance following his father's death. And, you know, he overcame that better than I thought he would. He, you know, it, it just took a little bit there, and he once he got going, and in 2006, I think, you know, what Tiger and Hank had been working on, everything came together and, and, and things were getting as close to perfection as they could be as far as Tiger's golf was going. You know, the PGA Championship win, it was a remarkable ball striking appearance. And then the, the WGC also was another week. He played absolutely phenomenal there. And then he went to that Grove and, um, you know, he, he was on another tier. Well, you know, 2007 couldn't have come quick enough. Yeah. And, and and just on that to wrap up, did you did you have a good off season the both of you? Because that's a roller coaster emotion of a year. Yeah, look, you know, one thing that you know you can say so much about Tiger Woods, and you can ask so many professionals, and I think one thing they would all say is, how does he keep playing at that level every week? You see so often today, even a guy wins a tournament, Mr. Cut the next week. Hmm. I mean, it takes so much mental strength and energy to win tournaments. And then, and then he wins the next week and the next week and the next week. I mean, it's just incredible. I read somewhere just recently where Phil Mickelson was stating that when he was in contention in the major championship, he'd be he'd be on the couch for three days for it, just trying yeah. to recoup mental energy and the strength that it's taken to play in that tournament in contention. But this guy wins the tournament. I mean, it's just absolutely remarkable that a guy has won that many tournaments. You know, I mean, like that, that, that end to the... 2006 season, you know, first, 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 second, second, and then he won, you know, the world, uh, the Grand Slam of golf in his own tournament just to finish off, not official tournaments, but he still won them. Yeah. That, that, that is insane. <laughs> you know, we talk in today and we think that someone wins three tournaments in a year, they've had an unbelievable year. I mean, this guy, if he didn't, you know, every year he'd win two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine tournaments in a row. I mean, it's just, you know, so 2006. Uh, at the completion in 2006, I, I think I, I remember thinking, well, I couldn't wait for 2007 to come because I, I just thought that that was, you know, as far as that ladder from 0 to 18 went, I, I think there was going to be a couple of, you know, a couple of steps in that ladder quickly added. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, well, I can't wait to talk to you next week for episode 12, and uh, I'll see you then. Thanks, Evan. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company.